HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Route 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. For more information, visit www.rt11.com. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good afternoon and welcome. This is Straight No Chaser on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer, and I'm broadcasting live from the back of Roberta's in Bushwick at 261 Moore Street. So today, my friends, we are going to go back to a subject which I have a really hard time getting my head around. I did a show about this about a year ago or so with the National Resources Defense Council and another group called As You Sow. Um, we were talking about the sort of burgeoning uh, field of nanotechnology. And I've been kind of following this uh, in my trade rags. And um, recently, uh, my buddy Eric Hoffner brought to my attention a wonderful new article in his magazine, Orion, uh, written by my guest today, Heather Miller, who's calling us in from, or we're calling her from San Francisco. Um, Heather Miller, Millar, I think it is, has covered science. Thank you. (laughs) Heather Millar has covered science, health, and technology for 20 years, contributing to magazines such as Sierra, Smithsonian, and The Atlantic. And she now lives in her family, with her family in San Francisco. Thanks so much for taking some time with me today. Now, you you titled your article um, in Orion. It's the uh, January-February issue, right? That's correct. Okay, so it's called Pandora's Boxes, which I thought was a really great title for it. Um, can you just give us a quick thumbnail of what nanotech is for people who either have never heard of it before or don't remember because it's so hard to like wrap your mind around those slippery little suckers? <laughs> Surely. Um, a nano, what I wrote about, it, now nanotechnology, the problem with nanotechnology is that it is such an incredibly broad field. Um, it is described in some policy wonk papers as being the next industrial revolution, and it will have the, it has the potential to um, revolutionize solar, solar cells for solar power, medicine for diagnostics, um, materials making them lighter and thinner, um, it just pretty much anything you can imagine. Um, <clears throat> nano um, stands for one billionth, so a nanometer is one billionth of a meter. So a nanoparticle, the, the common definition is it's something between one nanometer and a hundred nanometers, which is just a jillion times smaller than the width of a human hair. It's almost impossible to really conceive, which I think is why one of the reasons why it's unregulated is it's so hard to think about. 
One thing to remember, though, is that um, nanostructures are really basic um, to all life. Um, if you think about DNA and RNA, those are essentially nanomachines, um, which I thought was pretty fascinating. And uh, the other thing, um, um, bacteria um, can communicate with little nano wires and stuff. So it's, it's, it's out there in nature and has been probably forever. The difference is that today um, scientists um, and, re- and industrial researchers have found certain types of nanoparticles. Now, this is different from nanorobots, which are big in science fiction. Yeah, we're going to um, talk about those people, at the end. <laughs> yeah, people, people are working on the nanorobot thing, um, but it's so hard, you know, um, to, to figure out how to do that, that. Those things are on the horizon in the next couple of decades. But what's here now are nanoparticles. And nanoparticles are, they are basically little things. It could be gold, it could be titanium dioxide, it could be silver, it could be carbon, whatever. It's in that that um, size range from one nanoparticle to 100. And the, the exact definition is a matter of some debate among scientists. Um, no one can quite agree on exactly what, you know, where that boundary is. Um, but what scientists do point out is that just because something is small doesn't necessarily mean it's important. What makes the nanoparticles uh, that are being used in industry and medicine uh, and many other fields so important is that that smallness gives them some sort of special characteristic that we can use. And so that's why there are literally trillions of dollars going into research um, and development of commercial products involving nanoparticles. Well, one of the things, of course, this being a sort of food-based radio station, I I wanted you to specifically identify some of the food products where nanotechnology or nanoparticles are being widely used. I mean, you mentioned things like Pop-Tarts and M&Ms. What what else is there? Well, the Pop-Tarts and M&Ms, what what is being used in the Pop-Tarts and M&Ms generally is a kind of nanoparticle called titanium dioxide, Um, and it's a whitening agent. It's kind of like uh, you would think of the, the old kind of sunscreen that, that um, lifeguards used to put on their noses. Yes. Um, and so they add this nanotitanium dioxide to things like Pop-Tarts, Pop-Tarts and chewing gum and frosting and stuff to make the stuff super white. Um, but there are also nanoparticles. Nanoparticles are very useful in coatings. I talked to one scientist that was um, talking about putting a coating on top of an airplane and even which put on a current and it would melt all the ice so you wouldn't have to, like, do the big de-icing thing um, in the wintertime. In, in the food context, they are, uh, I know at least one case in which they are lining beer bottles with a nanoparticle film in order to keep the beer fresh for longer. If anyone's ever tried to drink a stale beer, you can see why that might be a good thing. And isn't nanosilver um, used as an antimicrobial in, say, yeah, packaging that was the next thing. for that was various things? the next things? thing that I was going to talk okay, about, sorry. is that na- there's nanosilver, and silver has been known to have sort of antibacterial properties for a long time. It seems to build up on, on the membranes of bacteria and make them explode. Cool. <laughs> so, um, yeah, pretty cool. Um, but they they put nanosilver in things like knives and cutting boards. Mm. So um, those are, uh, you know, food contact. 
type places. What about, I'd, I'd read somewhere, this was what piqued my interest last year when I um, interviewed uh, the scientists from NRDC, was that they were mm-hmm. using it, they were considering using it as a packaging agent for meat products. Like, you know, that they have that sort yes. of little foam, uh, you know, you have your yes. styrofoam tray yes, and then yes, there's yes. that little sort of sopper upper of juices thing and they were going to impregnate right. that, that, that with nano silver. And I thought, oh God, that's kind of scary because isn't it possible for the nano silver to just be absorbed by the meat? Do you think that's possible or have they already figured that out? I think it's absolutely out? possible. I think it's absolutely possible no because it's so small yeah i mean you know and nobody really knows i mean and the thing is is that this is not a time to get completely hysterical and and feel like we're all being poisoned but the thing is (laughs) is that this is all happening and there's really no regulation and they are introducing just gobs and gobs of this of these nanoparticles into food and to many other things and we have no earthly idea exactly what that, what the effect is going to be. And I'm not going to say it's the end of the world or anything, but it, we should be having much more of a conversation about it than we are. Well, I think that what's interesting about this is that the the FDA, uh, you know, has has um, allotted the description of grass generally regarded as safe to almost all the nanoparticles that are certainly used in the food chain, and obviously they consider it safe for things like sunscreen and deodorant, where it's already been widely used. So, um, but so I guess my question is if they don't care if they're not worried is that simply because they're uh, ignorant of the properties of nanotechnology or is it because um i don't know they're being leaned on to accept this technology on the basis of well, what com- companies tell them is safe i think i think this is a dynamic that's it's true pretty much across our economy mm-hmm. is that um we we don't think ahead in this country they tend to seem to do think ahead more in europe where they try to investigate things before they put them in their food. I don't think we do that as much here. I don't think that consumer protection is as much of a priority, quite honestly. Um, I think that um, it's not that the FDA doesn't know about nano um, nanoparticles and nanotechnology, and the national government is very aware of it. There's a na- national nanotechnology initiative, and there are, like, you know, several different agencies that have nanotechnology working groups and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. The, the thing is, is that there's just very little research that is being done into the safety. There's tons of research being done in applications, but mm-hmm. not very much in terms of safety. And because it's so small and nobody knows about it and there's no public outcry, there's just no political will to fund um, that much research. That's why... It's so interesting that the work that there, that I wrote about in Orion Magazine, the fact that they have this coalition of half a dozen or so universities that are really trying to do this work. But to give you some sense of the difference in scale about safety research versus applications research, there's a um, the statistics about how much nanoparticles are worth and how big the industry is are really kind of fuzzy. Um, because, for instance, if you say that you um, that there's a product that say has nano silver in it, right? Do yeah. you value the amount of the nano silver or the whole product? And they tend to value the whole product, which of course grosses up the the total. But estimates are that that the investment into applications is in the trillions, um, and the sorry for that call waiting. I'm sorry I didn't uh, turn that off. Um, Anyway, the research into applications is in the trillions, and the budget for the Center for the Environmental Implications of Nanotechnology, the group that I wrote about, is like about $10 million. So, 
um, the dis, the you know the the um, asymmetry there is pretty amazing. Um, We're gonna so take- it's not that the FDA doesn't know; it's just that there's no research. Because it hasn't been funded. There's no funding. Exactly. I was just going to say, um, we're going to, um, no, we're not. We're going to talk right now about, um, just quickly about something. And then I want you to go in the second half of the program, I want you to go in depth to what you um, discovered when you were doing that, uh, when you were writing the article. But um, just asking you a question, who exactly is behind this tremendous funding of research into applications? Like, is it is it every industry across the board, electronics, aeronautics, uh, construction? Everything you can imagine. Everything you can imagine. It's, it's everything you can imagine. And if you if you go, there's a... There's a project on emerging nanotechnologies that has a database of consumer mm-hmm. products that you can, you know, look up and see if your Pantene shampoo has nanoparticles in it or whatever. Um, they're not going to tell you specifically what those nanoparticles are, but there are more than a thousand products, and it, it, it's everything from paint and bricks, you know, to um, hair dryers. Wow, so, that's stunning! All over. Um, yeah. well, Heather, hang on the line there because Jack has to run sure. a quick station break. Right, Jack? And we'll be right back with Heather Millar from uh, Orion Magazine. The following program has been brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. From the moment Root 11 Potato Chips dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992, they understood their destiny as a high-quality producer. Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate. An incredible potato chip. With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, Root 11 Potato Chips believes comfort food should be just that. Know where your food comes from. For more information, visit rt11.com. You are listening to the Knife Show remix of Coma by Paper Twin on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are back. This is Straight No Chaser on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer, and my guest on the phone today is Heather Millar. And uh, that was uh, special nanoparticle music just for you, Heather. I hope you appreciated that. Um, <laughs> Where did you find nanoparticle music? That's one, um, that's one application I haven't heard of. <laughs> well, my, my beloved engineer and, uh, and friend, Jack, was able to like pull that together for us. Um, so now I want to delve into exactly what you uh, got into with that group at um, at Duke University. It was a coalition of six or seven universities, as you said. They have an acronym. It's C-E-I-N-T, I believe, which I no, long, no longer remember what that stands for, um, but you will tell us. And um, and they conducted a very interesting series of experiments. So can you just like take us through that whole thing and, and what you yeah, came sure. away with? Sure. Um, it's, it's the Center for um, the Environmental Implications of Nanotechnology. And what I wrote about was one of their experiments. They actually have different scientists at different universities are doing all kinds of things. There's a lot of disagreement about... There's not even a catalog of all the nanoparticles out there because they're being invented at such a feverish pace. So they are they are doing that. They are compiling a sort of a 
what, what, what would you call it? I guess a dictionary of nanoparticles wow. or something. Yeah, sounds um, like and they're they're doing um, a lot a lot of toxicology research, and you know there, there are many different kinds of scientists that are involved in this effort. What I wrote about was one experiment where they took um, they took nanoparticles, nano silver, and um, they had they created a bunch of boxes that were like um, almost like terrariums, but they were the size of a big horse trough. Mm-hmm. And they constructed little wetlands in each one, and then they um, introduced nano silver. With the one that's the nanoparticle that's often used in antibacterial things. It's used um, not only in cutting boards and knives and other uh, food containers and other things, but it's also even used in condoms and socks. Ooh, yeah. So that ought to get people and jock straps. Got my editor's attention. <laughs> um, so watch but, it, boys. <laughs> so they so they introduced the nano silver, and they did it in various ways. Um, the the way that I wrote about it in my lead was they sprayed the nano silver, and when they did that, the people had to wear clean suits, looking like sort of the bad guys in right. ET. They had to wear yeah. Hazmats, you know big yeah. suits and hats and gloves and the whole thing. And the reason they did that is not because it's necessarily that da- that dangerous. It's just they don't know. They just don't know. Well, they don't know what happens other, if you inhale it, right? I mean, they have no clue. Right? What happens they, they, then. they have no clue what would happen if you inhaled it, which is why they wore the clean suits. Yeah. In other cases, they just. They put a pulse of silver into the water, or they put it into the um, into the dirt. And the thing is, is that they found that, um, and so then they let it go. You know, they would. Um, there's a chemical reaction that they can measure, and I won't bore everybody with all that. But they would measure a particular chemical reaction to see where the silver was going in these little miniature wetlands. They called them mesocosms. So it's sort of a uh, middle ground between microcosm and macrocosm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and so they did this for about a year. Um, they watched very carefully for a month, and then they um, less. You know, then it was like once a week they would monitor stuff, and then at the end of a year they basically harvested all the stuff in these mesocosms and ground it all up and tried to figure out where the silver was and where it had gone. So wait a minute, let me and, stop you. Let me back you up for a second. Were there any, in these little mesocosms, which you described as a ter- terrarium, were there insects? Were there any, uh, was there any flora? Mm-hmm. Uh, or, sorry, yeah, fauna no, were, as opposed were, to um, just sedges, flora? <laughs> excuse me. There were sedges and native grasses, mm-hmm. um, water plants, zebrafish, Okay. And then the insects, and they wanted them to be open. The problem is, is that if you're trying to track something as small as a nanoparticle, even in a lake or you know a small pond, um, it's so big it's almost incomprehensible how you would do yeah. that. So that's why they, and they had initially wanted these mesocosms to be open to nature, but unfortunately then the raccoons started coming to fish and started eating <laughs> up all the zebrafish in the boxes. So they had to put a. They had to put an electrified fence around so that the larger mammals wouldn't come in. But they were open. For, they were open to insects and open to birds and uh-huh. and such. Fascinating. So, so at the end of the year, was, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say. So at the end of the year, they harvest this stuff: the fish, the grasses, right. the dirt, right. the water. Right. And then they measured right. how much nano silver or how it had accumulated or how it had dispersed. How it had accumulated, whether it had, yeah, whether it had gone up the food chain, if it had changed any kind of biological thing. And if you think about the, just the complexity of doing this in a small, little, you know, experimental wetland that's three feet by about eight feet, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, this, 
you know, finding the nanoparticles, they had to use all these different kinds of microscopes, and um, it's it's super complex, and they're still um, analyzing the data. But one of the things that they found was is that some that things didn't act the way they expected, so that things that seemed to be non-toxic in the lab um, ended up being toxic in the mesocosms and vice versa. So it really underscores how important it is to sort of do, they call these experiments kind of ground-truthing uh-huh. um, for the lab that's done in the work, it done work, I'm sorry, that's done in the lab because um, stuff is, you know, nature changes things. And so we're letting all this stuff out into nature. And so what the heck is it? What's it going to do? We're not really sure. Well, that brings me sort of to my next question, which is that um, (laughs) you made this very excellent point, um, which was that as a society, we've been here before. And I know we touched on this for just a second in the first half of the show, but we're releasing, quote unquote, miracle technology before its potential health and environmental ramifications are understood, let alone investigated. So my question to you, Heather, is like, given that we did this with GMOs, that we've done it with uh, PCBs, with, uh, you know, um, what is the, the plastic compound that's just been withdrawn, bisphenol? Oh, um, bisphenol A or whatever. There's just no end to these products that are rushed into consumer, um, you know, uh, consumer contact and then uh, without ever ever having really done any due diligence. And and I'm just wondering, like, how, you know, how is it that the government uh, or that the companies that are involved in producing these products and pushing them onto the public, why is there no um, uh, accountability for this kind of thing? I mean, I don't understand how these things get to happen without without enough due diligence, either on the part of industry or on the part of the FDA or the USDA or whatever agency is in charge of this. Well, I mean, as I was, you know, in the first half of the program, I was dissing our regulatory philosophy <laughs> in this country. Well, they don't have and, any money is know, one problem. So, you Well, know, they don't have any money, but, but, but more of a problem, you know, the thing is, is that actually after I had written this, that point about the MTBE and bisphenol A and, mm-hmm. and EDT and all these things, actually the nanoparticle thing is, is it's the same, but it's fundamentally different in that Bisphenol A was used to make plastic softer, okay? Right. And not to crack. And MTBE was supposed to make gas more efficient. And DDT was supposed to, you know, kill all the bugs so we could grow enough food for billions of people. All those seem like great things. Those are one application, right? Whereas In nano. The nanotechnology is freaking everywhere. Yeah. They're introducing it into pills. They're using it for diagnosing cancer. They're, you know, wow. they're putting it in your tennis rackets and your golf clubs and your carbon nanotubes. They're made to use, it can make things much stronger. So they're being integrated in everything you can imagine because they're very lightweight. Because um, they're very lightweight. Yeah. So the the problem is is also that nanoparticles are not one thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Nanoparticles and no one can agree on exactly what they are. Right? right. So how do you regulate something? if you can't agree on what it was. Uh, earlier this week, I was on a panel with Mark Wiesner, who is the Duke scientist uh, who heads the Center for the Saints. The right, that, was, for that was excellent, by the way, that panel. I listened yeah, to it. Okay. And I'm just going to say for people right now, if you want to go listen to the panel, it's on the Orion Magazine website, and it is accessible. It's free. You can just dial it up plug in the you know the little plug-in player and, and listen to the panel it was so interesting so i'm sorry heather i didn't mean to interrupt but i well, want to sure the, the to point that. about that panel though is that you find that i found was really interesting is that each scientist and they're all you know really big deals in their field yeah. um they can't agree <laughs> i noticed you know that when too. i said to them when i asked them 
I asked him, so how are we going to regulate this? How are we going to agree on what nanoparticles are? And the thing is, is that we can't agree on what they are, and we don't know, we don't have a one test that we can do. Like, I don't know this for sure, but I imagine that there's probably one fairly simple way to find out if there's DDT in the soil, but there's not a simple way to find out if there are nanoparticles in the soil. So that's a real problem. When I asked them, you know, everybody just kind of avoided that question because it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, the, it's the elephant in the room. Yeah. You know, we just don't know. But we it's don't, also we the, don't know how to define it. Right. It's the so unanswerable how can question. You, how can you regulate something that you haven't even defined? Yeah, exactly. And not only do, can and we not define it And it makes people lots of money. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that, okay, we only have five more minutes. So I do want to devote a okay. couple of minutes to the money trail. Can okay. you can you map out the money map for us? I mean, can you oh, map out God like sake. how You know what I'm saying though? Like who is the big winner with nanotechnology? Like how do companies benefit from this and what is well, and does the consumer benefit from this? I mean, should we be looking well, yeah, at this as something where that it's not Sorry. No, God, well, it was Sorry. something where, you know, like you and I can, can wring our hands about whether or not it can be identified and, and you know, properly uh, regulated and so forth and so on. But in the end, I mean, um, you know, given the fact that we play pretty fast and lose with public safety anyway, why, you know, if this is really great for consumers, why should we worry? What, you know, can't we just take our well, chances I, here? <laughs> I think we should worry because there, there have been tests on lab animals and there have been tests on sunscreen and the chemical the kind of nanoparticles that are used in sunscreen has been shown to corrode metal prematurely an australian study there are studies that show that they um that nanoparticles can um hurt the brains of various kinds of fish they sail past the blood brain barrier they they um uh they sorry again about the call waiting um that's okay i can't can, hear it so don't worry about it Okay, good. I'm glad you can't hear it. Um, they build up in your gut, um, mm-hmm. and they they seem to, and they also seem to go up the food chain. So mm-hmm. that nanopart, and that was the case with DDT. DDT wasn't didn't seem to be toxic in small amounts, but it kept accumulating and accumulating, and that seems to happen also with certain kinds of nanoparticles. Okay, so who wins? Um, who wins financially? Um, corporations, obviously, but. We all win because the problem with nanoparticles is it's not all bad. Right. You know, it can make it can make solar cells more efficient. There are um, certain kinds of nanoparticles that clean up toxic spills. There, um, there's one study where um, they used a nano, some kind of nano uh, net or whatever, to um, reconnect the spinal cord of a of a lab mouse. Okay, that jumping, Jimmy, that's pretty big. Yeah. Yeah, that's a huge. So we all benefit, and it's it's. But we really, because it's so difficult to understand. There is absolute. There's a very very little. Um, there's very little public awareness, and I think and let you know until the public starts saying, "Hey," and they are doing this. Like us, the um, Friends of the Earth in Australia has a huge nano. Um, environmental nano initiative that they're they're really big on this, especially sunscreen, which I guess is a big deal in Australia. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I would think so. But yeah. they, yeah, but they, um, we need to be talking more about this, and we just and yeah. we just aren't. Right, right. And it, it is. It really is going to be. It's going to be up there with biotech in terms of the revolutionary changes that are coming. 
Uh-huh. because of this technology. Well, I think it's fascinating. Unfortunately, I have to cut you off there, Heather. I want you to promote whatever you want. Do you have books? Do you have articles? Do you have a website? <laughs> you know, oh, like... I have books that are in process. No, I have books on process. My my website is hmillarwriter.com, and I would just encourage everybody to check out Orion. It's a, just a fabulous magazine. It is fabulous. Relatively small circulation, but they just they just do lovely work, and I hope that your listeners will check it out. Well, I'm a big fan of Orion myself, and uh, I was very happy to have somebody, you know, who's written for the magazine come on to the show. So I want to thank you so much for joining us. I hope um, as this kind of unfolds, you'll come back. Um, you're, oh, yeah. I'm assuming that you're going to continue to follow the story. I hope so. After having yeah, done I all am. of that work, I'm, I'm oh my of, god. <laughs> well, I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out how to get together a book proposal about it, but mm-hmm. you know. Stay tuned for that. <laughs> I certainly will. I mean, as, you know, there's so much more to say about this. But anyway, we won't. We'll do it another time. So thank you so much, Heather. And next week, my friends, uh, the wonderful Marin McKenna will be joining me. She is um, a writer for, well, just about every uh, – she's a longtime science writer and has written for every major uh, publication in the country. Um, and in this case, she wrote for the uh, Food and Environmental Reporting Network, FERN, my friends at FERN. Um, she will be joining me to further discuss the impact of antibiotic use in agriculture on human health. Girls, this one is especially for you. See you next week, folks. Thanks for listening and thanks for my sponsor. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.